Um, good morning, everybody. Uh, it's, good to, it's good to be with you today. Uh, I'm excited as we get to unpack the next part of Philippians together. If you don't know me, um, as Elisa said, my name's Chris, uh, better known as Steph's husband. Um, honestly, we will have coffee in, in higher grounds or we'll be out in the city and, and people will say, oh, are you Stephanie? I'm so, so thankful for your worship leading. Uh, I, I, I'm really, really, really thankful for what you do. And then they turn to me and go, and what do you do? <laughs> and honestly, I love it. I, I love it. I love that before I'm a pastor, I'm a part of this church family. Uh, I love that before I get to preach, I get to sit under the word of God every weekend. Uh, and I just uh, I love this church uh, and I love this city. Uh, I love what I get to do. Um, so so it's, uh, it's a privilege for me today to be able to open up God's word and unpack um, the first part of Philippians chapter 3. And so before we get there, I want to just pray, and then we're going to jump into today's message. Uh, God, I just ask that this morning uh, you would speak uh, through me or you'll bypass me um, to our hearts and to our minds. Would you, would you speak clearly your truth? And this morning, would we be able to uh, be receptive to what you want to say to us? In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so I want to start with a quick question. Um, I just ripped the band-aid off. Um, what kind of mood are you in today? So, uh, so if, if, if we're, I'm going to take you to youth. Uh, so I want a show of hands. Who's in a good mood today? Who's feeling pretty good? Okay. Uh, if you're in a bad mood, I won't ask you to put your hand up. Um, <laughs> some of your partners are pulling your hands down. <laughs> you weren't like getting the drive on the way to church. Um, <laughs> um, for me, I know if I've not had a coffee within the first hour of waking up in the morning, something bad is probably going to happen. Uh, I don't know what it's going to be, but I just know it's going to be bad. Uh, maybe for you it's the weather. Maybe it's precipitation or temperature or wind, and it, and it turns you into either Mr. Rogers or Cruella DeVille. Uh, maybe it's your job or your, your family or your friends or school or, or fill in the blank, the situation or, or the people, and it affects your mood. And actually when our mood is affected, it kind of either boosts our joy or drains our joy. And today we're going to be talking about joy. We're going to be talking about what the Bible says about joy. And do we actually understand what it says? And how do we live a life that is joyful? And what does that look like today? So if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to turn to Philippians chapter 3. We're starting at verse 1. And we're going to be reading verse 1 and verse 2 today. Now, I'm not going to be talking about verse 2 really that much, but verse 2 is the context to verse 1. So we want to understand what Paul is saying in verse 1. we got to read both 1 and 2. So we're going to do that together. And so it's Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Let's read. And Paul writes this. In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs, watch out for the evil workers, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. And so today we're going to look at three just very simple things. Um, firstly, what is the passage saying to us? What is Paul saying to the church in Philippi and also what he's saying to us today? Uh, secondly, what is joy? What is this, when he says rejoice in the Lord, what is this joy that he is talking about? And then thirdly, how do we establish a lifestyle of joy? So, what is the passage saying? Let me just read this verse one again. In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Verse one is this transition verse from chapter one and chapter two. As Paul goes into chapter three 
and chapter 4. In addition, I've got something extra I want to see. And then he says something that he's already said. I've already told you about this, but I'm going to tell you again. Ever had those moments, parents? Wives? <laughs> I've already told you this. Yeah, he, he says this again. I'm going to tell you again. I, I need to tell you this again. And actually, it's a good thing that I'm telling you this. And he tells them to rejoice in the Lord. He says, brothers and sisters, there's something for Paul where he correlates the relationship between joy and community. There's something important about doing this together. And there's also something about a correlation between rejoicing and joy and mindset. He gives them this warning to write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. So what is Paul warning the church in Philippi of? What's this? The warning to watch out for the dogs, the evil workers, and those who mutilate the flesh. This week, we're not going to unpack verse 2. Daniel's going to take that next week and, and, and talk about that a little bit. But for us to know today, what Paul is talking about is this. He's talking about relational conflict. He's talking about circumstances and issues that the church in Philippi have found themselves in with some people who are causing some problems. And so I, I put this in a Chris language here. So let me just read this out. This is what Paul's basically saying to us today. Hey, everybody, listen up. I've told you a few times, and I'm going to say it again just in case you missed it. But start with practicing joy. Before anything, rejoice. The reason that I'm telling you this is because you are facing and will face relational conflict within your church, your friends, your family, and I get it. Paul's in jail. I get it. So this is a warning. Tough conflict is brewing. Learn the discipline of joy before conflict eats you up. That's what Paul wants to say to us today. In a nutshell, choose joy despite circumstantial conflict. And next week, we're going to unpack what are some of those conflicts? What are some of those relational issues? What are some of those things that might eat away at our joy? But today, we're going to do what Paul said. We're going to start with joy. So what is joy? Well, we started by asking today, what kind of mood are you in? Are you in a good mood? Are you in a bad mood? And see, mood's quite easy to kind of figure out, right? Uh, we, we get influenced by things. So for me, if I've not had my caffeine, my mood is here. If I had my caffeine, it's a little bit higher. If I had too much caffeine, I'm back down here again. Um, but, but we can determine those things quite easily, but what makes us happy, what makes us sad? And, and a good mood is, is great, and most languages uh, have lots of words to describe the experience, like happy or cheerful or joyful and so on. And the same goes for the languages in the Bible. In ancient biblical Hebrew, there's a variety of words, like shimka, sason, gil. And in the Greek New Testament, there's chara, Ephroshuin, Agaleus, and I pronounced all of those right. <laughs> and you don't even know if I did. But this word that we see rejoice is this word chara, this, this Greek word chara. And, and, and generally, all these terms, they have their, their slightly different nuances and different, different meanings. But generally, it's about the feeling of joy, the feeling of happiness, experiencing that. And the Bible has this large theme of joy all the way throughout it. We see this all the way throughout the scriptures, this theme of joy. Let's think right at the start, in the beginning, page, page one, the first few pages of the Bible, God created the world. And what did he say? It was good. It is good. So naturally, people find joy in beautiful and good things, right? Like, I love the mountains. I don't know if you're a fan of the mountains. Uh, if you're not, that's a shame. Um, but I love the mountains. In a couple of weekends, Steph and I are going to go to Canmore. We're going to go to the mountains, enjoy just being in the mountains. We are so blessed to have the beautiful creation we have around us. Uh, if you've never been, again, 
Surprise, but we have a beautiful river valley in Edmonton. It's one of the nicest river valleys in the entire country. We are so blessed to have it. I love going biking there with my friends. I love walking there with staff. I'll run there once. <laughs> and I love the river valley. It's beautiful. It's so nice. We also find joy in other things, right? We see, we see joy in weddings. We see joy in our children. We see joy in our friends. The things that God creates. There's an, even a Hebrew proverb that compares the joy that perfume brings to your nose with the joy a good friend brings to your heart. However, we know that humanity isn't a joy fest, right? We know that. We know it's not just a joy fest. The biblical story shows how we live in a world that's been corrupted by our own selfishness. It's marked by death and loss. And it's where biblical faith, this is where biblical faith offers a unique perspective on joy. It's this. It's an attitude God's people adopt. Not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. So, when the Israelites, when they were suffering under oppression and they were freed, God raised up Moses and, and, and freed them, and they're in the desert, they're wandering, they're lost, they've not re yet reached the promised land, but what do they do? They sing for joy. Later on, we see the Israelites oppressed. They were oppressed under um, different empires, foreign empires. And the prophet Isaiah looked for the day when God would raise up a new deliverer like Moses. And while the Israelites waited, they chose joy to anticipate their future redemption. It's quite significant when Jesus of Nazareth walks onto the scene. In Luke chapter 2, it says this. It was announced as good news that brings great joy. We're told that Jesus himself rejoiced and gave thanks to the Father. When he began to announce the kingdom of God, he even taught his followers the same. He says this in Matthew 5, when people reject and persecute you for following me, rejoice. Be very glad because your reward is great in heaven. Uh, it was really interesting as the, as, the, as the church started to grow and the Christian community started growing. They were known for certain characteristics, cer certain ways of, of being. And one of those ways of being was joy. People would see them and go, that's the joyful people. They're the bringers of joy. And I wonder, if you were a follower of Jesus today, would your friends and family or colleagues or school classmates or who don't know Jesus, would that be something they would say about you? That's a bringer of joy. It's a joy bringer. And then we see moments throughout the Bible where people experience joy when probably they shouldn't have experienced joy, Right? We see Paul, he's writing this letter from jail. He's in prison. And he says this, that you can have the joy of faith or the joy in the Lord. Even if he was to get executed, he would have joy in Christ. See, when you believe that Jesus' love has overcome death itself, joy becomes reasonable in the darkest of circumstances. Now, this doesn't mean that we ignore or we suppress Feelings of hurt or pain or sorrow, that is not healthy and is not necessary. Paul often expressed his grief about missing loved ones or losing friends or his own freedom. And he called it being full of sorrow, yet rejoicing. And as he acknowledged his pain, he made a choice that he would trust Jesus and that Jesus would be the final word. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard the advice. Um, you, can, you can finish the sentence after me. Turn that frown. Nonsense. Absolute nonsense. Have you ever tried to say that to someone and they've went, I never knew. <laughs> Thank you. 
oh, I'm just happy now. <laughs> Stupid. It's absolute nonsense. And in our Bible, we don't see that. We, we don't see that. We see this theme that Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own love and Jesus' life. Let me say that again. Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own, Jesus own life and his own love. That's what biblical joy is about. Um, I love how William Barclay, he's a Scottish theologian, he talks a lot about joy. I don't know if you know much about us Scots. Uh, we're not really recognized for being joyful, <laughs> stubborn, uh, yes, uh, courageous, of course, uh, brave, well, there's a whole Disney movie about that one, uh, but joyful, not, not, not really, that's not really our, uh, it's not really the first thing that sticks to mind, and ironically, William Barclay spoke a lot about joy uh, to probably a very joyless Scottish people, um, but here's a few of my favorites, what he says. Says this, joy has nothing to do with material things or with a man's outward circumstance. A man living in the lap of luxury can be wretched, and a man in the depths of poverty can overflow with joy. Says this, the Christian is a person of joy. A gloomy Christian is a contradiction of terms. Oh, that one hit a little bit right. What about this? We are chosen for joy. However hard the Christian way, it is both in the traveling and in the goal, the way of joy. And so Paul, in, in, in verse 1, when he used this word rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. This form of this rejoice is a verb, it's the imperative form, which means this. It means we're not given an option of whether to rejoice or not. It's a command. Our only option is, we, is whether we obey this command to rejoice. We are to establish a pattern and a lifestyle of rejoicing. Uh, did you know the word joy, or this rejoice word, comes up nine times in the letter to the Philippians? If, uh, if someone was to write something once, that's important. Like if you read your Bible, you see something once, that's important. If it comes up twice, oh, okay, that's, you know, okay, I see that, that's, that's double important. If someone writes something nine times, they're saying, listen up, people. Like, this is of utmost importance. Rejoice in the Lord. So, if joy is defined by the example, it's this. It's a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. That is what biblical joy is. So, what is rejoicing? Rejoicing is acting on the decision of joy. It's putting into practice the decision of joy. And he says this, brothers and sisters, right? Something that's done communally. It's done with people around you. And not only does Paul say this again and again and again and again, but we see it in the life of Jesus. Uh, one of my favorite scriptures is Hebrews chapter 12, 2. It says this, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus was able to go to the cross because of joy that was set before him. He, he didn't find joy in the pain. He didn't find joy in the shame. He didn't find joy in his friends abandoning him. He didn't find joy in being spat on. He didn't find joy in the nails, but he found joy in the outcome that was set before him. He found joy that was set before him, and he endured the cross. Jesus' example to us and Paul's command to us is that joy is a focus before it becomes a feeling. Joy is a focus before it becomes a feeling. And let me be very clear again. A lifestyle of joy isn't living in denial that hard things aren't happening. Pretending is not an answer. But neither is subjecting my heart 
and my mind to the difficulties that go on around me because they don't define me either. Jesus does. So how do you do this? How do you establish this biblical joy? How do you establish this focus? How do you establish this way? Well, the, the first way is pretty obvious. Joy is found in Jesus. I hope you're like, ooh, good, got that one. Joy is found in Jesus. John 15, 11, Jesus says this. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So whose joy is it? It ain't yours. It's Jesus. It's Jesus' joy that is in you. Uh, I want to tell you a story. In 2010, uh, I was on my gap year um, between high school and going to university. And I just wanted to like, make some money, and can I get ready for going to school? And my old pastor had actually moved um, to Central Africa in Malawi. And uh, he said, hey, what are you doing during your gap year? And I said, well, I just want to kind of make some money and, and, and just like get ready for school. He said, Wait, come, and, come and spend some time with me. I think it'd be really helpful for you. He knew me. <laughs> he was like, you, ne- you need to come and spend some time. Um, it'll be really helpful for you. And I said, okay. So I spent three months um, out in Malawi, and honestly, it was one of the best experiences of my life, being able to, to journey with my pastor and, and his family and the churches that they were working with. And so what would happen is every Sunday, we would go to a different church, and he would preach at a different church, and I would just be his guest. I would just tag along with him and be at church. So this is one of the churches that we went to. Um, look at that, 2010 digital camera, people. That is a horrible photo. Um, last, last week, <laughs> Pastor Daniel talked about uh, blurring and focusing. I just blurred everything. Um, uh, and so this is one of the churches we went to. And, and so I was sitting near the front, um, and I remember it was a point of the service um, when the pastor said, hey, it's time to give the offering. Now, I know what happens when it's time to give the offering. I, I'd come from a, just a bit of a background, I come from a very um, strict conservative Baptist Scottish church. We knew a lot about joy, I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, and I knew what happens when offering happens. The, the, the bag goes across, and everyone puts their hand in and drops their money, and hush hush and then oh my money and then you drop it in and then it passes on like I, I know how offering works in the church like I know what's going on here so I'm sitting at the front and I'm like oh it's time for offering so I'm just waiting for this bag to come across the front and all I hear is and I'm like what is going on and I uh I look up to see the band they're starting they're going the music's going and then I look to the back of the back of the aisle and there's this old man he probably was like 140 like gets up out of his seat, like all limbs crooking and bones breaking, and gets up and gets to the end of the aisle and then starts making his way down to the front. And I was like, what is going on? Like I'm, I'm very confused at this point. And he gets to the front and he pulls out his coin from his pocket and he drops it in the bucket at the front, turns around, woo! and makes his way to the back. I was so confused. So, and I turned to the pastor and I said, I don't want to sound rude. Like, I don't want to sound, what was that? And he said something to me that has stuck with me ever since. It's never left my head and I don't think will ever leave my heart for the rest of my life. He turns to me and says, Chris, the Bible says to give with a joyful heart and you cannot be joyful if you're dancing. Cannot stop being joyful if you're dancing. And so he's just dancing his way down to give his joy to the Lord. As I watched that, it, it reframed my brain on, on, on joy. Because actually, this man did not have much. He actually lived in poverty. There was really nothing he had. 
and he came with his coin, and he gave it to the Lord. His focus was joy, and he did it with a full heart, joyful heart, and he danced. He danced, people, and it was amazing to see and to witness and for my heart to change. And then that quote from William Barclay came back to my mind. A man in the depths of poverty can overflow with joy. Why? Because the focus was on Jesus. He had found Jesus. So, how do we receive this joy? How do we receive this joy that is found in Jesus? Well, it's very simple. It's given by the Holy Spirit. It's given by the Holy Spirit. In Galatians 5, we read this, uh, these words about the fruit of the Spirit, the attributes that we can, that we can live out and can receive um, in submission and empowerment from God. And so we submit to God and we're empowered by Him and we can live in, in ways, and one of those ways is joy. We're empowered with joy. Happiness is so easy to define. It really is. Like we did it. We've already done it a couple of times. It's easy to define happiness. Certain things make me happy, certain things don't. But joy so often doesn't make sense in certain circumstances. I want to tell you another story. Um, this is my uh, grandma uh, on the screen here. Um, and so um, a few years ago, I was living in England. Uh, I was training to, to, to be a pastor. Um, and I got a call. I got a call from my dad. Uh, and my dad is not much of a crier. And he calls me on the phone. And, and he's crying. And I know something's happened. Um, and I know it's not good. And he, and he calls me and he says, uh, Grandma has terminal cancer. And she only has three months to live. <sighs> So hard, so hard to receive that news. I was very fortunate. Um, I had grown up with really not experiencing too much hardship. My parents were still, uh, were still together. I had both sets of grandparents. I had a great grandpa. He was 103. He just wouldn't go. Like, <laughs> he was stubborn, Scottish. Um, and, and so, um, so I get this news. And so my family, we, we totally believe in the healing power of Jesus. And so we start praying for healing. We're like, God, would you heal grandma, heal grandma, heal grandma, heal grandma. Um, and my mom, my mom has a really a soft listening ear to Jesus. You may know people like that in your life. They just, they just hear Jesus really well. Um, and so she's reading in her Bible and she's praying. And she's reading the story in, in Kings, in, in 2 Kings 20 of, of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah uh, pleads to the Lord for more time. Hezekiah is ill uh, and asks for the Lord for, for more time of life. And is, is given 15 more years of life. And my mom, as she's praying and as she's spending time with Jesus, she said, I don't know if we're praying for the right thing. I know God will heal grandma one day. It might not be on this side of eternity, but I think we're to pray for more time. I think God has actually said we have to pray for more time. And so we start praying for more time for grandma. Uh, and now a little bit about my grandma. She loves Jesus, um, has followed Jesus her whole life. Um, and as, as her joy comes from Jesus. And so as she gets this news and she starts her treatment, starts getting chemo, meeting different nurses and doctors, she's telling them, hey, do you know about Jesus? Hey, do you know about this, do you know about this person that's changed my life? Do you know this person who gives me joy? Do you know this person who my life is focused on? Do you know him? And one month goes past, two months goes past, three, five, 15 months my grandma lived. 15 months. And in those times, the doctors and nurses were like, this doesn't make sense. Like, you should not be here right now. And she's like, do you know Jesus? <laughs> I don't believe in coincidences. I just believe God works in little miracles. Hezekiah got 15 years. My grandma got 15 months. And to see that, and to see her being empowered by the Holy Spirit, being given joy in a circumstance that did not make sense, was she happy? 
No. She wasn't happy to receive that news. Was she full of joy because of the one she focuses on? Of course she was. Of course she was. So this takes us to our last point. If we receive joy being found in Jesus and empowered by the Spirit, what do we do? How, how do we continue in this established lifestyle of joy? What's this? Joy is a focus before it's a feeling. Joy is a focus before it becomes a feeling. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Joy is not merely a choice. Have you ever seen that on socials? Choose joy. <laughs> Choose joy. This doesn't spark joy. Like, joy is not a choice. If joy was just merely a choice to, to, to be content with our, say, for example, our count your blessings, you know, you hear that often, just count your blessings and be content. Well, then our focus would still be on our circumstances. Our focus would still be in the things that we have or the things that we need or the people around us. And, and that's not what the Bible says. Um, one of my favorite people in the Bible is, is James. He is uh, Jesus's little brother. Um, um, obviously, Jesus is my favorite person in the Bible. Second to Jesus is James. I think James is awesome. The story of James is wonderful. Go read about James. Um, but he says this in James 1, 2, 4. He doesn't say count your blessings. He says this, count it all joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Joy is a focus. It's with intention and it's on Jesus. When we settle for feelings, we lose our focus. But when we establish our focus on Jesus, our feelings are settled. They're put into the right proportion. They're put into the right place. Let me say that again. When we settle for feelings, we lose our focus. But when we establish our focus on Jesus, our feelings are settled. As we bring this time to a wrap, I just want to share one thing with you that I see so often in my life, um, in the students I get to work with, in my friends and family, uh, of the thing that seems to steal joy the most, that seems to, to crush and to quench joy, and it's comparison. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt, President of the United States, once said this. He said, comparison is the thief of joy. He wrote this 100 years ago. He wrote this before we had these unhappy devices in our pocket that made us unhappy at all hours of the day as we just compared our lives to everybody else. Like, he knew this. He understood this. He knew that as we compare, it steals the joy. But wh why is that? Why is that when we compare, it steals joy? It's because our focus is not on Jesus. It's on everybody else. Our focus is not on Jesus. It's on everybody else. How are they doing? Oh, they got a new job? Wait, how did they afford that vacation? Wait, what does she think about me? What are they wearing? And we constantly do this comparison. Am I better than them? Are my kids better than them? Are my kids' grades better than them? And we do this comparison thing all the time. We're looking around. And I honestly believe many of you would love the life that you live if you just didn't stop doing this. Like, this is hurting my neck. <laughs> but imagine what it's doing to your soul. Imagine what it's doing to your soul as you constantly compare. See, when we compare, the problem is, is this. We can't be looking and expecting everyone to have joy if we compare ourselves to everybody else. I can't be judging my situation according to other people's callings. I can't expect to have joy in that. I can't be judging my gifts compared to other people's talents. Nothing destroys joy like comparison. Nothing destroys joy like comparison. 
Joy is the focus. It's on Jesus. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit given to us. It's a focus before it becomes any feelings. Joy cultivates focus, which then makes healthy feelings. Uh, I just want to say, God, God has better. He has better for you. He, he, has, he has more for you. He has more available for you. His joy and his presence is for you every single day. Every single day. And it's found in Jesus. It's your choice if you want it or not. It's your choice. Remember, it's the imperative verb. But it's not an option to have joy or not, but you have to choose if you're going to. It's, it's, it's here. Uh, and being that joy is a journey, it requires people, right? It requires people around you to journey with you. I don't know about you, but I'm not joyful every single day. There's days that are really tough, but I need people around me to help me focus and put my eyes back on Jesus and remind me of who I am, who I've been made to be. And so that's why things like gathering as a church family is really, really helpful. The discipline of coming to church every single weekend is helpful because we get to rejoice together and encourage and edify those around us. That's why it's really good to be part of like a, a Beulah community or be in youth or be in kids and have those things that you have people in your life and phase of life who are able to walk with you in that journey. That's why it's great to have people over for supper and to have a meal together and to enjoy company with one another, encourage one another. See, the, this endeavor of joy is not a solo endeavor. It was never designed for you just to do yourself, brothers and sisters. It was designed to do with one another. That means when, when I'm down, you pick me up and you focus me back on Jesus. When you're down, I pick you up and I focus you back on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Joy is a focus. It's with intention and the focus is Jesus. Next week, we're going to unpack what happens in these relational conflicts, those things that try and quench your joy. But today we've got to start with joy. Joy is found in Jesus alone, true joy. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's given to us through the Holy Spirit. And that we can focus. It's focused before it's a feeling. Amen? Amen. Hey, what we're going to do is um, we're going to respond. If you came in a little bit late, if you came in kind of, you know, thinking, am I very late this morning? Um, a little bit. A small amount. Um, but we decided to sh change things up a little bit today, that we would, that we would have a, a time of, 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 of uh, message before and then a longer time of response afterwards. And, and what we're going to do is the band are going to lead us in a song. They're going to sing a song over us. And I want to really encourage you um, to take some time to process this, this idea of biblical joy and, and what that looks like to you. Maybe you want to open up some of the scriptures, some of the things that have been referred to this morning. You want to read them again? Maybe for you, you need to pray. You need to just ask, ask the Lord again, hey, Help me focus. Help me, help me. Remind me again of the day that I said yes to you. Remind me the day that I, I had my life changed. Maybe for some of you, this is new to you today. It's like, this is a lot of new stuff. Maybe for you, you just need to sit and think. Or you need to just listen to the words that are going to be sung over us. And after that point, I'm going to come back up and we're going to pray. We're going to spend a little bit of time praying. Um, we're going to pray for more joy. I don't know about you, but I need more joy. I need more joy in my life. And we're going to spend some time praying for that and then a little bit more time worshiping. And we're going to close the service with communion. But we're going to do that together. So take this time just to, to, to reflect, to take some time to go, is my focus on Jesus? Am I, am I finding joy in Jesus or everywhere else? And then I'm going to come back up.